Welcome to the pen and the yad. This week's Torah portion is Matot Ma'aseh. Rabbi Michael Siegel and author Jonathan Eig have a conversation about our choice to live in diaspora, a response to Moses and Herzl. If we were to be able to have a conversation with Theodore Herzl, right? let's say that he just showed up and was on the line today, right? So mm-hmm. we're all kind of talking together. And he might ask us, you know, what's been going on for the last nearly 120 years since I've died? I said, well, you know, we've got a land and, and all the rest. And then he might ask us, well, where do you guys live? Right. I said, well, we live in Chicago. And Chicago, you I mean, you could go and you could live in Israel today and you're not there. And then he would say, I imagine, perhaps not quite as politely, and how do you explain yourself? How do you how do you explain the fact that you've not gone to Israel? What would you say? Uh, first of all, thanks for the big guilt trip. Uh, well, I'm, I'm in the same. <laughs> right? Okay. Right. Uh, but um, it's such a great question. If you'd asked my grandparents that, they might have said, "Well, we, it's not so easy for us to pick up and move." I can remember the you know my grandparents talking about the creation of Israel and how much it meant to them. And I never thought to ask them, well, why didn't you go? You know, we, we get set in our ways. We accept what we've got. And it's hard for us to imagine picking up and changing our lives in such a dramatic way when we don't know anything other than where we are now. You know, it's stasis. We are this tendency to want to just stay in place. It's as if we Jews only move when they really have to or they're overcome by a philosophical or religious zeal, which, by the way, kind of comes to the same place. I cannot stay here either because it's too miserable or too dangerous, or I can't stay here because I can only be fulfilled in the land of Israel. Right? Those are the only two options here. And we're, and we're making the former. We're making the former argument. Our grandparents' generation, they had come here for that very reason because they, they were fleeing uh, an untenable situation, and they they felt they had to move, and America offered them uh, a refuge. Israel wasn't an option at that point for my grandparents, great-grandparents. So then the question is, when Israel becomes an option, why don't they jump at it? And I guess the answer is that they were happy here in America, and they didn't feel as motivated. Well, it's interesting you said that because, actually, Israel was an option to them. The fact that neither your grandparents or my grandparents ever discussed whether or not that was a viable option, something they actually thought about, is a whole separate question. But the laws of immigration until the late 1920s was remarkably lax. If you could get there, and the lifestyle in Israel or the life in Israel was very challenging. I'm not going to suggest otherwise. And you would likely have to throw away whatever profession you had, assuming you had one, and become a farmer of some sort. But you could, they could have. They could have. The reality was they never actually saw it as an option. But I guarantee you they knew someone who did. Right? There was someone in their village, their shtetl or their city that they knew that, that they're probably a contemporary of theirs that made Aliyah. If they knew that, they, they knew that, that the life there was hard and that they were making a living off the land. And the, the story of what they heard from America was very different. America, they, they heard, was the, where the streets were paved with gold and opportunities abounded. 
and you could quickly transform yourself. So America had the better marketing department at the time. Well, there was actually three different schools of thought, you know, in the writ large. There were the Zionists, right? The people who were going to build a nation state. There were the Jews who wanted to escape persecution and make a better life for their children in America. And there were the very, very religious Jews, who we call today Haredi Jews, who stayed put under the thumb of the czar, not going to Israel because the Messiah hadn't come and not coming to America because whereas our families obviously saw this as the golden of Medina, the golden land, they saw it as the trefa Medina. They saw it as the place where you're going to assimilate. So better we should stay under the iron fist of czars or ultimately going to be communism, which is the great irony here, then go to the land of Israel or to America. So how relevant is it that in our Torah reading this week, which is a double Torah reading, Matot Maseh, we're now fast forwarding. The Israelites have gone through an entire generation, and they are now on the precipice of the land. And as the book of Numbers comes to an end, Bamidbar, their sojourn in the wilderness is about to stop as they prepare to go into the land of Israel. And right on cue, the descendants of Ruvain and God, two tribes, are introduced to us as having a great amount of livestock. And the land right outside of Israel was very, very uh, good for grazing. So they come to Moses and they say to Moses, hey, you know what? We're good here. So you can actually give our portion of the land and split it up amongst other people, but we're going to we're going to stay outside of the land of Israel. Can you just imagine, I mean, going back to Herzl, and Moses must have been Herzl on steroids at that moment. I'm sure he couldn't believe his ears. But in fact, they were making the exact same choice that Jews have made throughout history. And in fact, the choice that our own descendants made. And that's a very powerful thing, I think. Yeah, I guess the question is, um, if we try to imagine what motivates them. Is it fear of the unknown? Is it um, tribalism? Is it, you know, wanting to stay amongst themselves? And, you know, obviously any kind of a move, anything new is is frightening. Um, that's just human nature. But to go through a journey like this, to, to travel this long and far, and then to say, you know, now I'm good, um, that's really interesting. Um, and um, it makes you wonder why they weren't ready to join the rest of the band and start something new after so What's much. In, that's that's an interesting question. Do you think that it's a failure on Moses's part that he didn't impart enough zeal to the kind of the mission? You know, it's the kind of thing where the leader assumes that people understand the gravity and why they're doing what they're doing as opposed to continually undergirding them with the message of, of the yeah, mission. I, I think you could make an argument that Moses is a revolutionary. And revolutionaries often have a very hard time leading when it comes to a more stable time. So he's able to to lead the people out of slavery. But when it comes to setting up a new society and setting up a new land and leading the people into this, does he have the, the right skill set for that? And has he prepared the people for this moment? I think that's just a great question. I think we know the answer, actually. It's not like it's a question. They're not there. They're not on board. And Moses' response is so telling. The first thing he says is, shall your brothers go to war while you stay here? 
Are you kidding? You're going to let your brothers and sisters, your family, you're going to let them go to war, but you're going to stay here on the outside and kind of cheer them on from afar. And then he says something even more remarkable, which I think speaks directly to your point. He says, why do you discourage the children of Israel from crossing over to the land which the Lord has given them? In other words, are you going to give them the impression that there are other options besides going into the land of Israel? And then he goes on to say, isn't that exactly what happened 38 years ago with your parents when they decided that they weren't going to go into the land because of the uh, report of the spies? It's too dangerous. You know, they're like giants and we're like grasshoppers. All of that is coming back and you're going to destroy their confidence and the esprit de corps that exists today. It's such a powerful issue, but it's so relevant that, I mean, think about this, Jonathan, before there was even one day, one day when the Jewish people or the descendants of Abraham were actually living in the land that God promised, there was already a diaspora. Right. And what's interesting to me here is that Moses isn't saying, here's what you're going to be missing. We have this great plan. Society here is going to be beautiful. We are going to be a community. We are going to have our own place to pray, and we are going to have our own place to work. He's not saying any of that. He's laying the guilt trip on, just like Herzl did at the beginning of our conversation. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's so interesting that you sent that. It's a guilt trip? Or he's just, or he's just telling them the truth. How are we going to fight without you? I need you. You have a responsibility here. It's so interesting that you went right to a guilt trip, but the reality is, is that maybe they couldn't have gone without them. Maybe they needed their manpower. And I know you always accuse me of going negative, but what I'm saying is that Moses should have prepared them for this in a more positive way by saying, when we get there, we are all going to be together. Not, hey, we can't do this without you. That's not the same. That's not the same as leading people into a force of combined power and community. You know, I'm laughing because it's such a Jewish approach to things. For years, the papacy, the Vatican, would not recognize the land of Israel. They just wouldn't recognize it for theological reasons, because the Jews weren't supposed to be anything more than wanderers and eternal symbols of their failure to accept Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, right? So when the first pope goes to Yad Vashem, so this is already like, this is amazing. Finally, the pope comes to Israel and he puts a wreath in Yad Vashem. What was it? One of the debates? <laughs> one of the debates was, why was it so small? <laughs> they couldn't come up. They couldn't, they couldn't do better. That's, that's the, that's the best you could do. Right, this right. Is, so the reality is, is that the people are standing outside of the land for a very specific reason. And the reason is that the land is better here. We don't know what's on the other side. This is just fine for us. And if you think about our reality today, any of us could get up tomorrow. You could begin the paperwork. I would imagine no more than a month. You and your family could be on a plane and you could be making Aliyah and you would have instant citizenship, as could I. But we don't. And Moses is telling them, Okay, you can live here. I can't stop you. But at the end of the day, you're going to fight. Your fighting men are going to go down into the land, and you're going to fight. And you can leave your women and children here, and you can build you know, sheepfolds for your cattle and whatever you need to do, but you're coming with us. 
You're coming with us. And they agreed to do that. And so here's my question. Would you say that there's an equivalency in our own age that in the same way that these tribes who wanted to live outside of the land of Israel had a responsibility, an obligation to be part of the, not only the conquest of the land, but the settlement of the land, that we too in the diaspora have a similar responsibility, a similar obligation. And it's not really a choice, and I don't shouldn't have to convince you of the rightness of the cause. You should just get it, that this is what we do, that our brothers and sisters, the same argument, are fighting for the land. They have to serve in the army. And so you have a responsibility, prima facie, to support the land of Israel. Yeah, and if I agree with you, then I'm a hypocrite. Because I'm not doing it. I'm not living there. So I do agree with you. I think that the, the message is the same today as it was then. If, if you're a Jew, this is our homeland. This is where we belong. But here we are talking about it in Chicago. Here we are. And let's just add to this. And here I'm going to also put myself into a pretty critical eye. We have a younger generation that largely doesn't feel that way. Right? It's one thing for you and I, uh, who were of a particular generation, who have memories of the Six-Day War, who have memories of those who survived the Holocaust and the trauma of world Jewry coming to terms with the Holocaust, and our own children who don't have those memories. Israel wasn't given to them like mother's milk, as it was you know, in your religious school universe or my religious school universe. And they don't feel that way. A significant number of young people do not feel that kind of responsibility or obligation to the land of Israel. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And it gets back to the point I made earlier that after the revolution, complacency settles in and sustaining the spirit of that revolution, much less the actual work of that revolution, is very difficult and, I don't know, maybe impossible. I mean, revolutions are meant to be bursts. And how do you maintain the spirit of that long after the fight is over? Well, I think part of it is kind of a religious esprit de corps in the more traditional community. The more traditional the community gets, the more likely that the younger generation is going to feel more attached to the land of Israel because their parents made sure that they got there, that Israel was a value. That's all tied up with Torah Zionism, religious Zionism, and all the rest. Whereas the more liberal we become, in the Jewish universe, the less of a ideology is at work. And what I'm saying here is that it's not, it's not just a Zionist ideology, but a secular ideology, but there is a religious ideology that plays on the Zionist ideology. As a rabbi, I hold myself responsible. We haven't done the best job at teaching that and inculcating that, that idea. But I, I have to tell you that as we go forward, this issue looms larger and larger. Uh, I certainly agree. But we risk losing our identity if we lose our connection to Israel, and we risk losing our identity if we assimilate so much that we, if we don't have synagogue and we don't have Israel, what have we got left? Well, I think that's right. I think that at the end of the day, what you have is family, a sense of family. And what Moses is really appealing to these tribes about is, these are your brothers and sisters. They may have a different ideology. They're going forward into the land because they can't see themselves outside of the land. You need to support them. And by the same token, I would suggest they need to ultimately come to terms with your choice 
of living in a diaspora, especially today, I think that argument holds true because the American Jewish community plays a significant role uh, in Congress, et cetera, with ensuring that Israel receives the funding in order to end the kind of cooperation with America and certainly the American military to maintain itself in a very tough neighborhood. But I think we'll stop here. And with all due respect to Mr. Herzl, he got his wish. And hopefully we will continue to support the land of Israel as we go forward in this remarkably miraculous age. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Rabbi.